I recently did a Facebook poll, and I did some crowdsourcing for some topical sermons throughout the season of Lent around this question. What does the Bible say about X? I chose to do this through the season of Lent because many of us give up something to remind us of Christ's suffering. However, there are things that people suffer through and struggle with the other 325 days of the year than the 40 days that we set aside for something to give up during Lent. And this morning, I would like to answer one of the first questions, which was one of the top poll answers around the subjects of mental illness, primarily dealing with depression and anxiety. So to pose that question and to give that answer, it sound this way. What does the Bible say about depression and anxiety? If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the table of contents and find the second book of Timothy. Once you've located that page, I invite you to turn to the first chapter. I'll be reading from verses 7 through 13. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 13. It says, For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and has called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but is now has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light the world, or excuse me, to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know who I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard with what I've entrusted in him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. The Bible answers many of our questions, and Scripture is relative and has the ability to speak into our lives where death has reigned, because Paul teaches us that we take part in Christ's resurrection. Look over at your neighbor and tell them that they're part of the resurrection. Satan doesn't want you to hear that this morning. He doesn't want you to say it. He doesn't want you to take ownership of it. There are some people that are listening today that are struggling and suffering 365 days of year with what I'm about to expose. Hopefully, through that, Many of you might experience being set free in Christ. We're about to go into the enemy's camp and take back what he has stolen from us. I believe someone will experience deliverance this morning from Satan's entrapments and his ensnarements and his lies. Some child of God out there has asked, what does the Bible say about mental illness, like depression and anxiety? And they're going to get some answers. I've often heard people take Scripture out of context to attempt to answer the questions around one struggling with depression and anxiety, like this one, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all of your anxiety upon God, for He cares for you. Or maybe another one like 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take a hold of eternal life to which you were called. Those Scriptures 
when they're taken out of context that they're written in, they might sound really good. They might sound really good to those who are not struggling with depression or anxiety. That word anxiety in First Peter comes from the Greek word that means concerns. Now, when you read it with that word substituted in there, cast all of your concerns upon God for he cares for you. Well, that means a whole different than what it is read like. That's a lot different than anxiety, isn't it? it? Sounds like a good scripture to use out of context to a person that's not experiencing anxiety. But to those who are in the thick of it, those scriptures, out of the context that they were written in, doesn't give much hope or even speak life into their life. And then some of those same people who are not struggling follow those scriptures up with judgmental expo- examining from others on why those persons are struggling with depression and anxiety by questioning their faithfulness to God. Oh, sure, they mean well by it, but the issue is they haven't any experience with what they're trying to advise someone who is struggling with depression and anxiety. So let me just say this. If someone who is struggling with something that you don't have any experience in, find someone who has had experience in dealing with things like that and refer that person to them especially with regards to depression and anxiety. I'm going to say a word, and I would hope that you would repeat it back with me. I'm going to take you back in time when I was a kid. There used to be a TV show that was on on Sunday morning. It was called Pee-wee's Playhouse. And Pee-wee Herman had a thing that he would do, and he would say, this is the word of the day. So here's the word, amiglia. Now that's a fun word to say, isn't it? Say it five times real fast, and folks will think you're speaking in tongues. Now, I'm going to jump back to this word in a moment. But what does the Bible say about depression and anxiety? Well, first, it's real and infectious. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 11. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Let me get real real quick. Paul is writing to Timothy because Timothy is pastoring the Colossian church. And the Colossian church is discouraged and depressed by Paul's imprisonment, so much so that some are leaving. I would say that Paul would be the first to say that he was experiencing somewhat of a depressive mindset and even some anxiety going on in his life. This passage doesn't come right and say that, but he'd have to be. His execution is pending. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to speak to it. Church, depression and anxiety are real. Let me say that again. Depression and anxiety are real. Depression and anxiety are not symptoms of a person who is not saved, who's not sanctified or filled with the Holy Spirit. Having depression or anxiety carries no weight with how God sees you or how and if God loves you. Depression and anxiety are not a spiritual sign of weakness, although Satan will tell you that. Satan will tell you that you don't have any power. Satan will tell you that you don't have enough faith or you don't have enough strength. Let me say this. Satan is a deceiver, and he's a father of liars. And if anyone says to you anything other than that, then be frank. Recognize where that's coming from. This sermon is not just intended for those who are struggling with depression or anxiety. The Lord has impressed on me this morning 
to answer this question for those of you who don't experience this so that you'll gain wisdom from it and also to remind those who are struggling that you're still a child of God. And although you've been infected with this disease, there's still hope. Depression and anxiety are real. They are a direct result of being in a human of being human and in a sinful world. Mental illness is a sickness, just like cancer, just like heart disease, just like HIV, just like bronchitis too. Diseases and sicknesses such as these occur simply because sin entered into the world and has brought death into existence, and death creeps into everyone's life. It's why we're all born with a sinful nature that is prone to make sinful choices, and it's why our bodies get sick and die. People who struggle with depression and anxiety didn't choose to have it. It's just their bodies are infected with it, like when you're infected with bronchitis. Could you imagine if you went and seen Charlie Roman or Alex Anderson with chest pains, and they look at you, and they ask, well, how's your prayer life? Is there anything in your life that you need to turn over to God? Do you need to get right with God? I doubt they'd be in business very long. Amygdala. Amygdala is an area in the brain that controls moods. Clinical research shows that people living with depression and anxiety have an overactive amygdala. This overactivity disrupts the brain's ability to process thoughts and the ability to release chemicals to balance out one's moods. This means that the brain of those who have depression or anxiety are in a constant fight, a constant battle not to hit rock bottom. So when we refer to scriptures like fight the fight of faith to those who are inflicted with depression and anxiety, it doesn't bring much hope because they're already fighting. They're already battling. What does the Bible say about depression and anxiety? Number two, that faith isn't motivated by anxiety's behavior. Faith isn't motivated by anxiety's behavior. Depression and anxiety is not spiritual warfare. Those that suffer from it cannot just turn it off or stop doing a behavior out of anxiety, an anxiety response. Many of you know my son. My son, Mason. Mason suffers from separation anxiety. And Mason acts out when he's by himself. He doesn't have the ability to cope with being by himself. So he acts out in fear. It's why he's prone to being aggressive. It's why he's prone to being destructive. Because he knows that his body is supposed to respond a certain way. But he just doesn't have the ability to cope So he responds with what capabilities he does have in order to achieve a sense of control. God taught me something this week, and it's something that I needed to know, is that behavior isn't motivated by faith with those that suffer from anxiety. Paul was addressing the Colossian church about the anxiety around his life, about the anxiety about the church's life, and the anxiety around their life. And many were leaving their faith because they were compelled to do something. It's just that something, that abandoning their, their church, that abandoning their pastor, their abandoning uh, just in their life was a means to attempt to gain some control in their life. And that's how anxiety works. 
Anxiety forces us to retreat from the things that we're doing, things that bring us joy, things that keep us in connection, that draw us into ourselves because of the stressors that our body experiences. Anxiety is the triggering of the amygdala part of the brain to stay in high alert and self-interprets as you're not safe. So we retreat into ourselves like with a panic attack. Anxiety will tell you that unless you do X, Y, and Z, this thing or that thing won't happen. We know that as obsessive-compulsive disorder. And when you mix faith with anxiety, doing X, Y, and Z makes a person suffer with anxiety, think that they have to do it, and if they don't do it, then God will never relieve those burdens. And when it doesn't occur, then it means that they don't have enough faith. And that those suffering with anxiety continue making faith more frustrating and more exhausting. Hear me this morning. Your faith and your anxiety responses have no bearing on your relationship with God if you are a Christ follower. Yeah, if you go out and commit an erroneous sin out of, bound, out of the bounds of morality, it's a spiritual problem. But those anxiety-related behaviors do not determine your faith value with God. If you aren't a Christian, then that struggle is going to be unbearable. You're constantly going to question. You're constantly going to have faith struggles because you don't understand the fullness of God's love for you. This is exactly why Jesus died. This is why he was buried for three days. It's why Jesus descended to hell and took the keys from Satan and set captives free because Jesus' resurrection enables those who follow Christ with the ability to take part in your own resurrection. I said it a few weeks ago around the idea of how our thought processes work. It's one thing to understand something because you're taking information in and you might understand how things work. You might understand... uh, how long it has existed. I use the example of a Boy Scout. You can know all you want about what it means to be a Boy Scout, but just because you understand the principles doesn't make you a Boy Scout. Just because you have the knowledge of it, you, you, you've experienced, maybe you have um, the knowledge, the full background, the history, and you can recite past leaders, just because you know those things, it doesn't make you a Boy Scout. What makes you a Boy Scout is when you've experienced it, when you've gone to meetings, when you've put in the time, and you have those experiences. That is what gives you wisdom. That's what makes you a Boy Scout. See, it's all about commitment. Those that struggle with depression and those that struggle with anxiety, they are limited because they don't have all the tools that many of us have in in order to be able to cope. But I want you to know this morning is if you do struggle in those areas, God doesn't think anything less of you. God doesn't see you any different. He sees you as a child of God. Some of us just need a little help. Some of us need some medication. But it's up to you to find that help. You can't just stay in that state. I know that many people have dealt with losses I know that many people struggle with the death of a child and with death of a spouse. And many of us can fall into the trap of some depression, but 
for many of us, we need to understand that there is help. There is hope. And know this for sure, that God loves you regardless. And those of us that suffer from anxiety, I've had panic attacks before. And this is very expressive from my heart this morning, that you understand that anxiety affects many people. Some people have disorders from it, but there are medications and doctors like the ones I've mentioned that can refer you to those places where you can get some help to offset those chemical balances. Many kids struggle. They don't understand why they struggle. And sometimes we as parents don't understand why they struggle. My advice is to get educated on some of those things because our kids aren't always able to articulate how they're feeling or why they're feeling or what they're doing. They might be just trying to find ways to cope. They might just know that they're supposed to respond one way, but they respond differently. With us taking part of this idea of resurrection, one thing is for sure. Only dead things can be resurrected. Only dead beings can be resurrected. And God wants to bring resurrection in your life. He desires to love you so much so that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sins and my sins. Maybe today... You probably didn't understand fully exactly what depression and anxiety does. Maybe there's someone in your life that is suffering from depression. Would you help them find help? Maybe you today are suffering with the same. Maybe your anxiety can be so overwhelming sometimes and you feel like you're so far from God. Let me assure you today, God's standing right there. All you have to do is turn around. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for who you are. Thankful, God, for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll remind us, Lord, that your love is greater for us. We are your children. Father, help us for those that are struggling with depression and anxiety. Help them to understand that this is not about their spiritual life. It's just they're in a body with a sin nature. And they're in a body that is temporary. I pray, Lord Jesus, that the power of your Holy Spirit will move and work in their life. Give them the assurance of their salvation. But maybe, Lord Jesus, there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you. So that struggle is intensified. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they'll seek someone out and ask them what it takes for them to make a profession of faith in Christ. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.